The eve of Christmas, indeed, seems to be a favorite time for evil spirits of every unpleasant type, eager to do as much as they can before the holy day dawns. And for this reason, those who are superstitious will be wise to fling open their doors and windows so that any spirits that may have found their way into the house may be driven out. By Manvers Moore, 1849. folks out there in the hinterlands and though it's been a while it's your boys rock and max and we're going to be your guys as we deck the halls in search of holiday horror here at nightmares and daydreams y'all welcome everyone happy holidays yep happy holidays and merry christmas time season it's not christmas day but it's you know the season which i guess started after thanksgiving <laughs> <laughs> saturnalia whatever you guys celebrate or Festivus for the rest of us. Oh, yeah, that's if it. If you subscribe to that sacred holiday. You love you some Seinfeld. That I do. And uh, folks out there in the hinterlands, on a, a bit of a somber note, Maxie and I have an announcement to make on this final episode in at least this iteration of Nightmares and Daydreams. After almost four years and a big move, uh, Maxie and I are sadly parting ways on the pod. Yeah, it really sucks. It does, man. But with work, Rock's move, personal issues, it's just the right time. Well, Unfortunately. Yeah. Last thing we want to do is mail it in. So we mm -hmm. want to thank all you fans who have reached out and all those little nightmares who've stuck with us all this totally. time. Big thank you to our small but mighty patrons. The biggest thanks to our sweet, small, mighty patrons. Well said, Maxie. And uh, like... It's so true. Thanks for hanging with your boys all these years and watching us grow. And that said, uh, never say never. I'm hoping that Nightmares and Daydreams may come back in the not-too-distant future. So uh, keep us on your likes, because anything is possible. Well said, Rock. Shall we move forward? Yeah. You got your eggnog ready, Maxie? Nah, you know I don't drink that stuff, but <laughs> I got myself a nice porter to keep me jolly. That works, that works. I'm off the sauce right now, but uh, sipping a nice hot cup of coffee right now. That'll keep a you A few up. states away here in AZ. Well, gang, as you know, we have our traditional uh, Christmas ghost stories here to keep the spirit lively on this night, as the veil between worlds is ever so thin. I love Christmas ghost stories. This is one of my favorite traditions of ours. Totally, man. And I reckon we have, who, Charles Dickens to thank for that? Do we? Well, not really, but telling ghost stories around the Yule Log has been happening for centuries. Like we said in our original Christmas episode... I love that episode. The winter 
was long and dark, and gathering around fires, those miniature little suns telling stories around said fires, those were the ways that our ancestors bonded. Gotcha, gotcha, man. It's like that seasonal camaraderie, goodwill to men and all that jazz. Yes, sir. And the reason I mentioned Dickens was because it was in the Victorian era that Christmas ghost stories really took off. And kind of remains to this day. I mean, love actually anyone? That's a truly horrifying British Christmas ghost story right there. (laughs) You love that story. Quit lying. I am guilty, man. I literally just saw it. And uh, just to be clear, telling ghost stories on Christmas doesn't necessarily mean that all the tales are related to Christmas, though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Any scare around that blazing Yule log will do. All right, glad we cleared that up. And so, dude, I'm not in Austin this year. Uh, are you hitting up the Zilker Trail of Lights like we always did? You know I am. Love going to the Trail of Lights. It was for sure one of the highlights back in the day, man. Prescott is pretty well known from what I understand for Christmas lights too, though, right? Oh, yeah. Like uh, Prescott is Arizona's, quote, official Christmas city. The nice. courthouse here is all lit up. It's actually very merry right about now. Like all the trees downtown are lit up. All you Arizona folks out there, if you haven't been to Prescott, like now during the holidays, it's worth checking out. It's quite lovely. Yeah, unfortunately, my visit is going to have to wait until next year. All in due time, my friend, man. All right, Max, how about a story? I got you. As he hurried through the snowflakes toward home, the soft thud of following footsteps echoed behind him. They kept up with him, speeding up when he sped up, slowing down when he slowed down. It was unsettling. The sound made his skin crawl, and he sped up, cursing himself for walking home alone from the midnight Christmas mass. Normally, not a religious man, the middle-aged bachelor had been struck by a desire to hear the old Christmas carols sung by a church choir again, and had walked across town to attend the service. He was regretting his decision as he passed dark house after dark house in the snowy night, and the footsteps followed him. He was expecting darkness, but was pleasantly surprised to see the yellow glow of firelight emanating from his study doorway upstairs. His old housekeeper, whom he assumed was sound asleep in her attic bedroom, had to have lit the fire in anticipation of his return. He shrugged out of his coat, paused for a moment, surprised that it was still warm and dry, despite the fact that he had walked for more than a mile through a snowstorm. Though he remembered soft snowflakes hitting his face when he first stepped out of the church, it was almost as if he'd been walking in a bubble of calm before mysterious footsteps started. A shout of greeting interrupted his shudder as his old friend Dave rushed out of the study. His entire face lit up with delight at the unexpected surprise. The two men shook hands warmly and returned to the warmth of the firelight speaking so quickly that they stumbled over one another's words. Dave had left town years before to work in New York, and they hadn't seen each other since. It took him nearly an hour to realize his visitor might be hungry. His offer of a meal was quickly accepted, but Dave refused to leave the warmth of the fire to eat in the kitchen, so he jogged downstairs alone to get some food. 
He was unsurprised by his friend's reluctance to join him in the kitchen. David appeared pale and had shivered with cold as they talked. He hoped his friend wasn't sick with anything. He returned a few moments later with a warmed-up meat and potatoes and a couple of glasses of beer. Profusely apologizing for the mismatched dinnerware as he handed Dave a plate. Dave simply laughed, sat down to eat. When they were both finished, he showed his friend to a guest room and then collapsed into his own bed to sleep. All his apprehension, caused by the mysterious footsteps, completely forgotten with his friend's visit. He jumped out of bed on Christmas morning and dashed downstairs to the guest room to wake up his friend. But Dave was not present, and the bed had not been used. That was strange. He dashed down to the study, but Dave was nowhere to be found, and only one plate of food sat at the end table beside his old friend's chair. It was completely untouched, despite the fact that Dave had eaten from it the night before. He ran to the kitchen, his skin crawling at the thought, and asked his housekeeper if she'd seen him. But the housekeeper had seen no one the night before, or this morning. He collapsed on the bottom step of the staircase, perplexed. Dave seemed to have vanished. It was a mystery that haunted him all day Christmas, and he didn't even enjoy his holiday dinner, which irritated his housekeeper. The sound of the front doorbell woke him the next morning from a deep sleep. When a knock came to his bedroom door, he stumbled out of bed and was splashing water from the bedside pitcher into his sleepy eyes. When he answered, his housekeeper handed him a newly arrived telegram. He opened it curiously as she hurried back downstairs to prepare his breakfast, not knowing who had telegraphed him so urgently. He began to tremble as he read the telegram. The message was brief and to the point. Dave's family was sorry to inform him that his old friend Dave had died on Christmas Eve at his home in New York. He sat down hard on the bed, his hand fluttering away from the telegram. Dave had to be the one who had followed him home on Christmas Eve. That would account for the strange footsteps and the dry coat in the middle of a snowstorm. He had spent Christmas Eve in the company of a ghost. I've never spent Christmas Eve with a ghost, Maxie. Have you? Not to my knowledge. Pretty sure I'd remember that. Yeah, I mean, well, technically, not that I know of spending Christmas Eve with a ghost, you know? Because ghosts yeah. are tricksy like that. And uh, how do the ghosts eat the mortal food, you know? Good question. And, you know, you know, you could have spent Christmas Eve with ghosts. Totally. There was no breeze on the back of your neck, right? Uh, settle down, Maxie. I have a constant spell of protection from undead around me. <laughs> you wish. You ain't no paladin. Uh, true, true. I'm more like a ranger. Rugged, dirty, good with a bow. A friend to the elves. <laughs> Again, you wish. Dude, I, I need more D&D in my life. <laughs> we all do. You know, that breeze at your back comment earlier reminds me of another story, actually. I see dead people. No, not that one. Classic flick, by the way. Classic flicks. Speaking of classic flicks, 
no. <laughs> Even on this last hallowed episode, you're not doing a movie review. Let's get on to the story. Uh, Santa's leaving coal in your stocking, Scrooge. No doubt. Move it along, Cratchit. I preface this by saying that I'm not religious, and I do not believe in the paranormal. That said, it was the month of November, and I was visiting Edinburgh, Scotland. It was cold, and I was layered in a long sleeve shirt, sweatshirt, and winter jacket. In the evening, my friends and I decided to go on one of the haunted walking tours that takes you through the vaults beneath the city. They are, of course, rumored to be haunted by the poor, destitute, and deplorable people who died gruesome deaths therein. One underground vault is said to house a particularly demonic spirit. It's said to be trapped within the confines of a circle of stone built by Wiccans to protect the living from its unfettered evil. While standing alongside the stone circle, my friend, who herself is a Wiccan, began chanting barely intelligibly under her breath. I suddenly felt a flurry of wind at my neck. Then nails dug deeply into the flesh of my back and dragged down my body from my shoulders to my waist. I was completely frozen in fear, too shocked to scream, although I was filled with white-hot pain. I spent the rest of the tour petrified, and when we emerged from the tunnels, I ran over to the bathroom of a pub where I pulled off my clothes, which themselves were perfectly intact, only to see bright red marks lining the naked skin of my back. I've told my friends and family this story, and they think it should be enough for me to cave in and believe in the supernatural. I still don't, but I also can't explain what happened in those tunnels underground. I read it to her, oh fiddlesticks. Yeah, that's pretty freaky. I definitely don't want to feel any wind on my neck as I wander haunted catacombs. Nope. Or sharp nails, for that matter. Especially in a city known for hauntings like Edinburgh. For real. Hey, what's it going to take, Fiddlesticks? You were straight (laughs) up assaulted by an entity and still don't believe? (laughs) That's some scully. (laughs) Dude, hope you got a couple of good drinks at the pub, at least. That's what I'm saying. Where there's smoke, there's fire, Fiddlesticks. You got assaulted by a level 9 roaming vapor. Fiddlesticks like to get level-drained. That's what I'm saying. And, you know, Edinburgh Castle is, according to the lore at least, thought to be one of the most haunted places on Earth. Road trip. For real, man. But not to get haunted, but, you know, just to get to Scotland. It'd be really cool to visit there. I love the lore thereabouts. I'm 100% in, Rock. Speaking of Scotland, this isn't a ghost story, but it just popped in my head because you were talking about Scotland. Hmm. Gotcha, dude. I think we were talking about this before we recorded earlier, yeah? You love you some sea monsters, Maxie. <laughs> that's the one. That said, the Nucklevy is from the Orkneys, but that's part of Scotland, so I forgive you for your lack of precision. <laughs> I'm so grateful, Rock. The <laughs> Christmas spirit truly knows no bounds. Bah, humbug. Why don't you generously tell us a Nucklevy story? I'll do it for the children. Thomas, like his namesake, Tam O'Shanter, was out late one night. It was, though moonless, a fine starlit night. 
Thomas's road lay close to the seashore, and as he entered a part of the road that was hemmed in on one side by the sea, and on the other by a deep freshwater lock, he saw some huge object in front of him and moving towards him. What was he to do? He was sure it was no earthly thing that was steadily coming towards him. He could not go to either side, and to turn his back on an evil thing he had heard was the most dangerous position of all. So Tammy said to himself, The Lord be about me, and take care of me as I am up to no evil this night. Tammy was always regarded as rough and foolhardy. Anyway, he determined as the best of two evils to face this foe, and so he walked resolutely yet slowly forward. He soon discovered to his horror that the gruesome creature approaching him was no other than the dreaded Nuklavi, the most cruel and malignant of all uncanny beings that troubled mankind. The lower part of this terrible monster, as seen by Tammy, was like a great horse with flippers like fins about his legs, with a mouth as wide as whales, from which came breath like steam from a brewing kettle. He had but one eye, and that was as red as fire. On him sat, or rather seemed to grow from its back, a huge man with no legs and arms that reached nearly to the ground. His head was like a bale of straw, and this huge head kept rolling from one shoulder to the other, as if it meant to tumble off. But what to Tammy appeared most horrible of all was that the monster was skinless, this utter want of skin adding to the much terrible appearance of the creature's naked body. The whole surface of it showing only red, raw flesh in which Tammy saw blood, black as tar, running through yellow veins, and great white sinews thick as horse tethers, twisting, stretching, and contracting as the monster moved. Tammy went slowly on in mortal terror, his hair on end, a cold sensation like a film of ice between his scalp and his skull, and a cold sweat bursting from every pore. But he knew it was useless to flee, and he said if he had to die, he would rather see what killed him than die with his back to this foe. In all his terror, Tammy remembered what he had heard of Nuckleby's dislike of fresh water, and therefore he took the side of the road nearest to the lock. The awful moment came when the lower head of the monster got abreast of Tammy. The mouth of the monster yawned like a bottomless pit. Tammy found its hot breath like fire on his face. The long arms were stretched out to seize the unhappy man. To avoid, if possible, the monster's clutch, Tammy swerved as near as he could to the lock. In doing so, one of his feet went into the lock, splashing up some water on the foreleg of the monster, whereat the horse gave a snort like thunder and shied over to the other side of the road, and Tammy felt the wind of the Nuckleby's clutches as he narrowly escaped the monster's grip. Tammy saw his opportunity and ran with all his might, and sore need had he to run for Nuckleby had turned and was galloping after him, and bellowing with a sound like the roaring of the sea. In front of Tammy lay a rivulet through which the surplus water of the lock found its way to the sea. And Tammy knew if he could cross the running water, he was safe. So he strained every nerve. As he reached the near bank, another clutch was made at him by the long arms. Tammy made a desperate spring and reached the other side, leaving his bonnet in the monster's clutches. Nuckleby gave a wild, unearthly yell of disappointed rage as Tammy fell senseless on the safe side of the water. Dude, I have to say, I'm not wanting to see a Nuckleby. That's one monster I'm good never setting eyes on, even from a pretty far distance. 
Thou art wise, my friend. Uh, if you recall in our Draugers and Hogboys episode, we talked about the white in the burial mound of Mace Howe. <laughs> How can I forget? That was also in the Orkneys. Mm-hmm. And I researched for that episode for like a year, folks. <laughs> I think it was longer. I think that was meant to be your masterpiece. <laughs> was it? Uh, you did well enough, lad. Uh, my thanks, kind sir. All right. Give us another one, Maxie. Many books detail the ghost of Bolu National Motor Museum. Set in the New Forest National Park, the estate includes the village of Buckler's Hard, Palace House, and Bolu Abbey. Originally a gatehouse to Bolu Abbey, founded by King John in the year 1204, the house is haunted by black monks, rambling nuns, and a myriad of characters throughout history. In 1952, the National Motor Museum was opened by estate owner Lord Montague, and at its helm as curator was Charles Beatty. In a candid interview, Charles said that his marriage to novelist Joan Grant broke down due to the interactions of the ghost of Abbot Hugh, the resident ghost of the estate. Interestingly, Joan became famous while living at Beaulieu for her book, the Winged Pharaoh, which for 20 years she kept secret that she had channeled the material during meditation and seances. Belu's Christmas ghosts seem a talkative lot. Between 1886 and 1939, the last vicar, Reverend Robert Powells, claimed that the ghosts were an everyday part of his life. Often, he was known to make comments to parishioners such as, Brother Simon was here again last night. I heard his boots squeak. By the 1930s, the vicar began to organize special midnight masses for the ghosts on Christmas Eve. Lord Montague's eldest sister, Elizabeth Varley, knew Reverend Powell's, and once said of him, he always appeared perfectly sane and seemed to be on good terms with the ghosts, whom he saw and spoke to regularly. Looking back at the activities of Reverend Powell's, did he really witness ghosts daily? And did anybody else see them with him? And the final question, was the chapel full of ghosts on his midnight masses on Christmas Eve? Good old Reverend Pals. Now he saw dead people. Totally. He needed Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. So much, uh, he saw him so much that he threw Christmas Eve masses for them. Now that's following your priestly duties right there, gang. That's intense. It's like, you see the reverend talking to people, talking about ghosts, having midnight masses for the dead. Like, are you still going to go to that church, or are you moving to another one? Uh, I think I'm staying. Braver than I am, son. Usually. Yeah, quit tripping, Maxie. <laughs> your turn, Rock. All right, all right. So for some context, gang, according to the witness, this happened on Christmas Eve when he woke up just awash in cold dread. And as he did, he looked towards the hall from, you know, from his bed in the open door and he saw a shadow walk by. So listen to this. It sounded at first like someone just sort of shuffling around down there, moving things around. But I knew it wasn't my wife because she was still fast asleep. I checked on the kids and they were asleep too, so my immediate thought, considering the shadow I had seen, 
was that for some reason the dog was stumbling around down there. I looked for the dog in the bedroom just to be sure, and he was there, only he was cowering against the corner of the room, seemingly terrified of something, but not barking or whimpering, just frozen. The sound downstairs got a little more urgent, although it was not loud enough to wake anyone else up. And I was about to wake my wife up, but I didn't want to worry her. I decided to quietly go down the stairs enough for me to peek into the living room. And that's when I saw it. There in the dark were two glowing orbs, red eyes set within a dark shape that rose up to stare straight at me before blinking into nothingness. I was breathless and turned on the lights, but there was nothing there but presents that had been tossed about all over the place. I searched every inch of that room, and there was no sign of anyone, no sign of a break-in, nothing. Whatever the thing was, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Santa. <laughs> nope. All sorts of nope right there. Christmas nope. Worst nope there is. That was the Grinch, man. but really what was it dude i have no clue some dark grinchy entity (laughs) some dark entity looking for gifts yeah your guess is as good as mine my friend all right maxi go for another one year around christmas time i was having a friend spend the night The heat had just shut off briefly, and she and I were sitting in the living room watching television when the temperature dropped substantially. As I rose to turn up the heat, the Christmas tree began to shake violently. Ornaments were falling off right and left, and she and I were terrified. We ran upstairs and lay down on my bed. My white cat curled up with us, and my door was open slightly. When I gazed out at the dark hallway, I was horrified to see a tall white figure run down the hall. I turned to my friend and she acknowledged she had seen the exact same thing. She never spent the night ever again. in turn, would never spend the night ever again. Hail to the night. <laughs> <laughs> Coward. <laughs> Coward. There you go again, man. Talking like you were in the Lyadona episode, wanting to go out there and meet the I'm monsters, so Maxie. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was just jokes, right? Uh-huh. So, what do you think it was the girl saw? Ghost of Christmas Future. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows indeed, man. I mean, it's one of those things, right? That's why... It is a Christmas miracle or a Christmas (laughs) haunting. So, good people, let's end with a small tribute to the Yule Log by the poet William Hamilton Hay. Out of the mighty Yule Log came the crooning of the lithe wood flame. 
a single bar of music fraught, with cheerful yet half-pensive thought, a thought elusive, out of reach, yet trembling on the verge of speech. Well said, Rob. We love that crackling fire. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, we hope you gathered around your fire, whether virtual or real, <laughs> and enjoyed these Christmas ghost stories with us. And all the tales we've shared with you guys over the years, for that matter. It's been an honor and privilege to share stories and myths with you fine folks. It really has. What Rock just said. We hope you've enjoyed hanging with you boys and the bard of our show, Teresa Joy. Over the years, we know we've enjoyed hanging with you. We hope we've distracted, entertained, and educated Mm -hmm. you, our lovely listeners. And like Rock said, never say never. Keep us like because... You never know. We sure don't. Mm-hmm. We love our listeners out there in the hinterlands, Maxie. Agreed. Well, we don't want to keep you folks up too late. Now mm-hmm. you've had your bedtime stories. You're ready to sleep tight. Remember, Santa knows if you're awake. And thanks for hanging out, people. And we really hope y'all are having the happiest possible holiday season. Say it one more time, Rock. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, be good to each other and... Sweet Sweet dreams. dreams.